Lord, we're human beings here that seek your wisdom. We seek to follow you every day. We seek for you to come into our lives and change us. We'll ask you, I ask that you will bless me as I speak and as we share how much you mean and how, where, you're, where you're leading in our lives. So bless us now as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you had the patient that comes back? The staff says, he's back again. Jerry was that type of patient. He, I saw him first, I think, in about 2012. You know, he's a single man. His wife had passed away, I believe. Right now he's 75. And he came through. We gave him a nice pair of glasses, and he had only Medicare A, so, you know, that doesn't even pay for the Medicare for the exam. But he wanted to come. And so we, he paid for the glasses, and he was a happy camper, you know, and no problems at all. Because back in 2015, or 16, I think I have to look at my dates, and orders another pair of glasses, his vision had changed. He started seeing a little early cataract. He had a little decrease in vision, so I did an OCT on him. And his left eye had a little... A little scarry. I didn't look like a Drusen. It wasn't sure what it was, but it didn't seem to be affecting his vision. And so we gave, he ordered another pair of glasses, and, and his frame was pretty beat up, and so he ordered another frame. And he goes on his way, and I don't see him for another year, a year and a half, almost two years. He comes back, comes to the office, comes for the next exam. How are you doing? How are the glasses doing? I could never wear them. That's not a good sign. When they come back, and I said, well, why didn't you bring them back? He said, we have, for the first three months, Hoya gives me a free redo. There's no cost, no, for you or me, you can get a free pair of glasses. And I'll change it. I'll make sure you see. Oh. <laughs> and so we, we, we check them out. It didn't look like, his vision had dropped a little bit. He had started a little more cataract formation. And so we fit him a new pair of glasses, and he, it, he gets the EX3, he gets the transitions, he gets everything, you know, on it. It's an expensive pair of glasses. A month later, he comes back. Not working. Not working at all again. I can't, I can't see again. So we put him through the exam. It showed very little change. And I'm saying, this doesn't make sense. And so uh, we, we redo the glasses, and he goes away for, for six months this time and comes back and says, they're still not working. So we re- repeat the OCT, and what do we see? A little epiretinal membrane, macular pucker, and that's on this other eye, the right eye. The left eye still looks the same. And so we know his vision, his cataracts are slowly getting worse. And so, and he doesn't, he hadn't, glasses aren't working, isn't working again. And so we eat it and do a third redo. That means we eat it, you know. And, uh, and then we start talking, he says, what, is your, what interest do you have? He said, well, I have, I'm, a v, I'm a vet, I can go to the VA. Because I have VA referrals a lot coming to our town because we don't have a, 
a VA clinic nearby, so I, they refer a lot of patients in just for an exam, and they go down to the VA and get their glasses. I said, the VA will pay for your glasses. And, and so we, we, we talk about it. I say, hey, you know, here's your, I'll, I'll give you a prescription. Take it down to the VA after this. And I said, they'll give you a pair of glasses. And, um, and they said, you know, also, I'm getting double vision. And, you know, cataract can get a slightly doubling in times. And, but I measure a little vertical for you about two diopters now, which is totally new because I check that every time. And so we put a little vertical prism and it changes the prescription a little bit. He takes it down to the Veterans Association. They give him a pair of glasses about three weeks before they have them made for him. He brings them back to the office, all wrapped, never been opened yet. He says, I haven't opened. I was afraid to open them. And uh, he said, I don't, I, I, uh, I want you to check them first. And I check them, and the VA didn't put the prism in. So we send them back to the VA, and they get them fixed again. And the third, the, the last time he came back in, um, not the last time, but the time when he finally brought those glasses in, and we put them on him. He says, I've been talking to my pastor about this, and I want him to pray for me. Bingo, bingo, what do I do? I'm saying, why, why am I not praying about it? And right then in our office, I put my arm around him because he's a nice guy. He really is. The staff are looking at me, and, and my daughter, who's my office manager, saying, you should be charging each of these rechecks. They're having problems. I don't. I, that's not my way. And uh, she doesn't like that, though. <laughs> but... So we have a nice word of prayer. And I've never seen anybody, he just relaxed. It just made a difference. That, that prayer time with that patient made a big difference. He, he came back in about a week ago before we came in. And he said, I've been wearing them for two months. It's not perfect, but it's better. It's like a worm, but it's not good. And his cataracts are getting better. His epiretinal membrane is probably increasing. But prayer, it's so easy to forget sometimes when you're in trouble and you can't figure out what's going. God does amazing things in our life. You know, um, let me read you a quote here. If I can get this going here, let's see. Now push. Push. Arrow. Which way? There you go. Got it. If you will go to work as Christ designs that his disciples shall and win souls for him, you will feel the need of a deeper experience and a greater knowledge in divine things and will hunger and thirst after righteousness. You will plead with God and your faith will be strengthened and your soul will drink deeper drafts at the well of salvation. Encountering opposition and trials will drive you to the Bible and prayer and you will grow in grace and knowledge of Christ and will develop a rich experience. Every day, we go to the Bible. The Bible is your first food. It should be your first food. And, it's, and I regret my younger days. I, I did have worse, but I did not make the Bible my primary food. Because now, as, you, as we get older, we realize we're, we're not going to last forever. I had two stents in my heart three and a half years ago, and, and I know I'm human. You know, you're, you're, we're, my 70 years are up, but everything after this is gravy. 
by the grace of the Lord. And, you know, and so I seek to, to know God and to know him better so that I can share him with patience, so that I'm aware of patience needs. Christianity is not about what you do. It's about who you know. And who you know will transform what you do. This, this, this I guess, it's more events, and it's also, a lot of this stuff I'm getting today is, is from our small group. We're, we're going through uh, Gary Vendance all about Jesus. He's doing four-year verses like Lee Vendance. And so a lot of this information, and it just hits you. you got to know Jesus. And my, our small group, in, on, it's on Monday nights now, uh, we, we were going through this series about learning about Jesus. And some, this is one of his, his, and he was at our camp meeting this year, too, at Redwoods in, Yuba, in uh, Northern California. About 2012, my wife and I were talking about, we were in between pastors, and we are talking about, let's get a small group, let's get a group studying the Bible together. And we, so we prayed about it, and we just, we just I said, well, what can we, who can we get? And this a friend of mine now, real good friend now, named Dave, walked in the church one day. I had seen him as a patient many times. But one of the Adventist physicians had said, come on and come to church with us. And so when Dave came into church, I said, Dave, how are you doing? And I said, he said, well, is Bert here? He, he invited me to church. Bert doesn't come to church very much. <laughs> but he invited him to church. And I said, Dave, how, you know, are, are, you, are you interested in this? Yeah. I said, well, would you like to, right off the bat, would you like to study with us? We're going to start a study group studying. And we started with you know, the basic Bible lessons. He said, yeah, that sounds good. And so Dave came in and uh, the week later, this other couple walks into town, in the church. Never seen them before. They had been listening to, uh, uh, it is written, not it is written, uh, The Bachelor in Sacramento. And they came in. And I, and, uh, I said, hmm. I, I, was, I usually stand up and greet people when I can. And so they came up and said, hey, are you interested? Yeah, I've been studying with, I was hearing Doug Bachelor. so exciting. And so here they come in, two more people for our group. And the week later, our head elder comes in and says, hey, I hear you're starting a small group. I have this gentleman just came in, and he's interested in studies. He comes to our small group. Dave was baptized. When the other gentleman was baptized, his wife is a heavy smoker. It's, you know, but it, God brought me. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about what we did. It's God bringing him to us. And um, the other single gentleman moved up to Oregon area, and he also is a member of a church up there. That small group, if you guys aren't a member of a small group, it's wonderful. That's, our small group is still going. And we meet on Wednesday. It was Thursday night, then now we're meeting on, on Monday night, and this is what we're going through. It's all about Jesus. Um, because that will transform you. It transforms. And that is the best night of the week. It's sharing, because that's what pumps you up to, to really work in your office. Whoops, what did I do here? There we go.
Two buttons? The only way to grow in grace is to engage to the extent of our ability in helping and blessing those who need to help, the help we can give them. Strength comes by exercise. Activity is the very condition of life. Those who endeavor to maintain Christian life by passively accepting the blessings that come through the, me- through the means of grace and doing nothing for Christ are simply trying to live by eating without working. And in the, spir- in the spiritual as in the natural world, this all- always results in degeneration and decay. A man who would refuse to exercise his limbs would soon lose all the power to use them. Thus the Christian who will not exercise his God-given powers, not only fails to grow up into Christ, but he loses the strength that he already had. This is one of my favorite texts here, where John talks about how, how true power comes from. And Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away and Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And these are my favorite words, abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And it's withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Sin isn't, God isn't the one that's going to say, you didn't do it, I'm going to burn you. Sin results in death. But as we abide in him, we have power. We have power from him on high to to, to do things that we wouldn't think we could do. Um, the, um, we, last year, it, near my town in Yuba City, California, we had some fires. Paradise had a big fire. That was the biggest one. But next to us, right up in the foothills, in, in above Marysville, we had a fire too. And the day after the fire, this lady comes, her name is Cheryl. She comes into the office. And she says, I was burnt out. And she tells me her story. She says, she's a single lady. She has a ranch, has some courses and stuff. And she says, I smelled smoke and I wondered what was happening. And the power went out. So she goes out to get in her car, but she doesn't know how to open the garage without power. So she says, I see you over the hill, smoke and fire. And she says, I literally ran and walked out the opposite way, left everything, her contacts, her spies, everything. She comes in, and my daughter comes up and hears this, and my staff comes around. She goes home and gets her clothes about the same size as she is, and she says, and she says, what are your contacts? And so we pull out samples, enough samples to last her probably a year, so that she has contacts. She was living with a friend, staying with a friend. The big fire in paradise, we had a lot of transplant. 
you know, when you give, you never lose. You, it's not about, you know, I, like, I love being an optometrist because we can give. We see people in need. You don't have to. You can, you know, you don't have to charge them. There's, I have a box and frames back there of, of good quality used frames. And there are people who come in. What do you do? They don't, can't afford it. You give them a free frame. They're, they're used, slightly used, but they're beautiful frames. They're probably pretty expensive. But for the Paradise people, they came down to our fairgrounds, and they, they had trailers and all sorts of stuff for them to stay in. Now, our church, they took over, and they started doing food classes. They, our, 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 our youth director's wife took, over, took on this cause herself, and she did amazing things. She's still doing amazing things for people there getting furniture, getting all sorts of help. But my daughter, Courtney, said, hmm, she calls Hoya Lab. What can we do for these people who have lost everything? Hoya says, we'll give them free lenses. And so if they, were, if they had lost their house and burnout and they came in, we gave them a free exam because they weren't our patients. They were, they were from paradise. And Hoya gave them free Frames and we had free lenses and we had free frames. You can't hurt. It was good because these people were hurting. Have you ever lost everything? Uh, none of us have ever lost everything. God lost. He was willing to give up everything of heaven for us. The power of, of love is just amazing. I'm thankful that that my staff care about people too. Now. No sooner than does one come to Christ than there is born in his heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth that cannot be shut up in his heart. If we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and are filled with the joy of his indwelling spirit, we shall not be able to hold our peace. If we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we shall have something to tell. You know, I loved when we have, we have those Optos pictures sitting up there. And the very simple illustration of, of, of believing in God is looking at those pictures and talking to people and saying, you see that point there where, you're, where you focus on? You draw a line straight up and down. That side of your vision goes to that side of the brain. That side goes to that side and the opposite side. Would that just evolve that way? No, that's design. That's a God who, who created us. And that's my sometimes hint. If, are they, do they want to talk about God? Do they want to share, you know? And if you, you give them that sense, you, I, I never want to force talking about God to anybody. But sometimes I get way behind because it's fun to talk about God, their faith and the sharing. I had a gentleman then a couple weeks ago. He was, he's a, he was a pastor of a Sunday church, and now he's writing fictional Christian novels. And uh, it doesn't seem like he's the type, but he's doing it. And yet the sharing of his, of his growth in faith, he says, I used to, man, you do it this way. This is, this is the way, you know. He's his growth in belief and faith, how much faith does. You can't do it without faith. You can't live without faith. You can't, 
grow in Christ without believing who he is. And so those little inklings is what I do to share and open up to Christ, to my, my patients. There's one, I think this is the next slide here. Let me see now. No, oh, this, this is another story. Remember the story about the demoniac getting healed? He, he, the disciples take off when he comes to Christ comes out of the boat and walks, and the disciples, they're back on the boat saying, let's get out of here, let's get out of here. But Jesus walks straight to him. And he, he, he says, what do you want me to do? And when he got out into the boat, he had been demon-possessed. Oh, this is the last of the story. I'm going to read it. And so Jesus, he says, I want to be healed. And, of course, the story about the, all the demons going to the pigs and living and all the people kicking them out. They don't want to see Jesus. They lost a lot of money, a thousand pigs. And they don't believe in taking care of pigs, but those are their pigs. But that demoniac man was changed. He was healed. Wouldn't you want to follow Jesus? Wouldn't you, you know, you hear the stories of people being healed and they became his disciples and followed him. But Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to follow me. When he got into the boat, who had been demon-possessed, begged him that he might go with him, be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. But he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has, he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the capitalist all that Jesus had done for him. And they all marveled. Literal, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Go to your family, friends, neighbors, literally get off, get off unto your house, to yours. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And testimonies to ministers, the first work of the church were seen when the believers sought out friends, relatives, and acquaintances, and with hearts overflowing with love, told the story of what Jesus was to them and what they were to Jesus. That's my, that's what I have to tell because I know Jesus loves me. And that love and belief that he loves me, and that's not always easy. I don't think any of us can really conceptualize how much God loves us. I think we're going to be understanding it through eternity, and it's going to make us grow in love for him. We, are, we all are a product of our parents, and what, what they were like is a lot what we are like as much as you don't want to be. And so the love factor has to grow, and, and that's what abiding in him does. It abides in him and it goes into your body and it changes you. To this, this is what everyone can do whose heart has been touched by the grace of God. As witnesses for Christ, we are to tell what we know, what we ourselves have seen and have heard and felt. If we have been following Jesus' steps by step, we shall have something right to the point to tell concerning the way in which he has led us. We can tell how we have been tested, we have tested his promises and have found the promises true. We can bear witness to what we have known of the grace of Christ. This is the witness for which our Lord calls and for 
want of which the world is perishing. Very pointed. How do you get it? And this is from Gary Vinden. The experience every morning at the close of your time alone with Jesus, ask him, please open my eyes today to the specific opportunities you arrange and where I can make a difference in the people's lives for you, Jesus, and for your kingdom, and give me a nudge when it, when it, when it happens so I don't miss it. Amen. We don't want to miss it, do we? Because when we're able to share, ah, the day is good. It is good, and it, it just makes the joy complete. One of my favorite texts is this one here. Romans 12, 2, and this is the New Living Translation. I like the way it says it. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Changes the way I think, because my brain is, is, is muddled in sin, and he cleanses us. Uh, I know Gary was talking about Maury's when he was uh, he was feeling like a failure as a pastor because he didn't have a, a relationship with him. And he started he, and he, he's reading. He, he talked to people. How do you do it? Oh, all the standard right ways. And he then he started reading Steps to Christ and didn't get much out. And he went back and read what Steps to Christ, what he could do to have a relationship. And basically, it came down to one thing: abiding and looking to Jesus. That's all we can do. And because when, he does, when you do that, you have the power of him in your mind. He changes you, and it changes what you say, how you treat people, and what you can do. Now, I'd like you, we have a few more minutes. I think we have about 10 minutes. Oh, more than that. I'm, I'm, I'd like to have some of you share how you've uh, uh, Share Jesus in your office. I think the Holy Spirit uses each of us differently. I'm just going to share my experience, and uh, and hopefully uh, there'll be a benefit there. Um, the first thing that I think we need to uh, understand is is that when the disciples uh, met the Sanhedrin after uh, Jesus had resurrected, they made this comment. They say these humble fishermen are different because they've been with Jesus. Um, it's true that each one of us have an influence. But I want you to understand this influence from a little bigger realm than you may have considered it before. I want you to consider uh, the moment you have you yourself have gone into a new place. I don't care what it is. It could be a church. It could be a place of business. It could be any place where there are other people. And when you open the door and you enter into the room, uh, while you're taking in with your eyes uh, what you're seeing, you're also taking in with your spirit a certain sense that you feel when you enter the room. And that sense is really the combined spirits of all the people in that room. And when I use the word spirits, I'm, I'm using that in a loose sense in that this is the agreement 
This is the working relationship. And I've, I'm sure you've been into some places where you go, you know, I just didn't really feel like those people cared about me. I didn't like the sense that those people weren't getting along. I mean, it, it didn't take me two seconds to figure out this wasn't a place where I really wanted to do business. And I turned on my heels and I walked out of there. So how do you create an atmosphere that at the door people want to come through and partake of it? So that atmosphere starts with the leadership. Starts with you and me getting on our knees and doing just exactly what Thomas shared this morning, looking to the Savior. But it continues. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it's uh, um, it's something we have to walk. We can't just talk. So um, in my office, we have uh, we don't discriminate. We'll hire anybody that's willing to work for us that uh, understands our philosophy, uh, and uh, we do not discriminate whether they're Christians or not. But we do tell them this. Once a week, we will get together and talk about who we are, why we do what we do. And we will start that session by prayer. And we do. And every person in the room is given an opportunity to share anything on their heart. And I, as the principal leader, will, will deliver the prayer. Um, and we did that for many, many years. But then we decided we need to take this to the next level. So now my staff lead us in prayer at a huddle before we start every day. So this is a staff-led prayer. Uh, it's great. And we're still, uh, there's, not everybody in the, in the room are believers. But now I'm offended by that. Uh, they seem to welcome it. Um, then, of course, when there are needs in the, in the room, uh, which happens every day, uh, somebody will come in and share something. Now, uh, we want to respect the different uh, persuasions that come into our office. We play Christian music very low, but Christian music all the time. And that's a subtle invitation that we are a Christian office. Uh, we don't have a lot of literature. In fact, we have no literature in the waiting area. And, uh, you know, I've struggled with that. Uh, some people feel really good, strong about that. I, I, I struggle because I don't want to offend. But uh, I think it's really important that when somebody presents a need to you, that you're sensitive to how to minister to them. And I'm going to show you how I do that in just a minute. Uh, it's always amazing to me in our profession how that people will begin to talk to us about things that I have no idea how we got there. I mean, no idea at all how we got there. And, you know, I would say on the average, at least once or twice a week, I will get to the place where I say, you know what? This deserves prayer. Now, it's very, it's very important how you approach this because you don't always know whether that person is actually a believer or not. So I have one very simple question. I look them right in the eye and I say, by the way, are you a prayerful person? And invariably, I'll get a yes or no answer. And that's all I need to know. Because if they say yes, the next question is, could I pray for you right now? And if they say no, I say, that's okay. I'll remember that. 
And then I go right on about my conversation. <laughs> and they know in their heart of hearts that I've respected their choice, but I'll still be praying. <laughs> and it works beautifully. And uh, nobody's offended, and they feel like I've respected their particular persuasion. Uh, my staff pray with, uh, you know, the, the person may not choose to uh, share their particular need with the doctor. They may choose to share that with the optician. They may choose to share that with any person in the office. And by the way, it's well known in my practice that anyone can pray at any time, and we do. Um, and I could tell you a lot of stories, but I think I'll give the mic back. My, um, I resonated with the needing of the extra kick to say something sometimes by the Holy Spirit and that the, um, the kick is directly proportional to the number of patients that I have on that day. Um, and so um, one day um, I have a patient who I've taken care of for many years. Um, uh, and she's a nurse, professional person. And... Um, and she's one of those patients that you, you all have these two, I'm sure, that you can depend on, that if you need to have a quick visit, you can have it with her. If you need to get on to the next room, um, you can just, you know, you're good, you're good, you look good, you're, I'm moving on. And, um, but my photographer came to me one day, and she said, um, you need to talk to Mary. And I said, okay. And she said, she's really stressed. And I said, okay, I will. And so I went in, and I could see that she'd been crying. And I've operated on both eyes and, um, and done lots of stuff with her. And, um, and I went through my visit, and we, she was fine. And, and I said, Mary, what's going on? And she proceeded to tell me a story. And this was a particularly busy day. I was, had 55 or 60 patients, and, and, um, and I was trying to go. And um, she said uh, she started crying before she even told me the story. And she proceeded to tell me a story where her husband had been drinking and tried to kill her and chased her out into the street. And, um, and I, I just sat there. And, you know, my sense of time was gone at that point, and it didn't really matter how long I was in that room. I just listened. And, um, and that ended with prayer and ended with me giving her my cell phone number and call, call me if you have trouble, whatever. And, um, and so uh, I I. I also resonated with you set the tone because my photographer knows that I pray with people and she gives me the heads up if we need to do yeah. that. Yeah. And, that's and so that's, you know, and, and I don't know if I would have picked up on Mary that day or not, but I did because Debbie did. So you have to listen to your patients and look at them in the eye. You can see a lot just by their eyes, just what their, how their sense, you can sense somebody who's really drowned, who's down and, and, and we have you know, we can we can we can we can just share the just a little bit of time and let, look at them and, and 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 just talk. And you don't know where your voice is, where, where the conversations go sometimes, and sometimes they do go to some wild places. But God leads you if you're allowing Him to. Would any more comments? Would somebody like to share? We have a few more minutes, or we can. Uh, 
Oh, just a situation that came to my mind when, when you were talking. Patients tend to know that we're busy in, and they see the, the backlog in the waiting room or whatever. And when you actually take the time to do something off the script, so to speak, um, that speaks volumes. Just the, just the fact that you're taking the time away and willing to put their emotional need or spiritual need in, in front of everybody else that's waiting. And I did this, and I have no, I don't remember her situation. I don't know, remember um, why I prayed for her. The thing that sticks out in my mind is that after I prayed with this lady, and she was a new patient, when she left, and she had moved to Tennessee from somewhere else. So it's fairly easy for me to open that conversation in the Bible Belt. But um, I always ask, just like you were talking about, Dan, because you want their permission to pray, and you, want, you don't want to offend, and Jesus would never force himself on anyone who didn't want it. And, uh, but she left the room, and she was going down the hall telling every single person she could tell, I can't believe it, my doctor prayed with me. I can't believe it, my doctor prayed with me. And you get, and, and that one just stuck with me, and I think that was more for me than for her, because uh, it, uh, patients do like prayer. And it's very easy. I've, I've, the little scripts I've learned at Amen when I send somebody for cataract surgery or retinal surgery or anything, I will, I will uh, say it's my habit to you know, pray for somebody I'm sending for surgical consults. Uh, do you, is that, would that interest you? Uh, and I've been turned down, and I said, no, that's no problem. And uh, I've had other ones say, absolutely. And so there, we know cataract surgery is successful and fairly very good outcomes and whatnot and lots of the retinal surgeries and everything. But if it's your eye, nothing's routine, and uh, it's scary for them. And the surgeons that I send them to probably have no idea unless the patient tells them but they probably have no idea that I'm praying for their expertise and their wisdom and that, 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 that healing, true healing comes from God and that he uses, he uses the skill of humans as well. And, um, but I know that patients really appreciate it more than I think that we think they might. You know, I think sometimes we have to ask God to bring back some of those blessings that we've, we don't always remember the, the, the times we've been blessed by giving to others, the sharing the, the, the gospel, the sharing of the prayers. Um, any other comments? Anybody else would like to share? You know, I would just like to say that I resonate with that nudge as well, and uh, that's, it's the Holy Spirit, and uh, there's a reason for that nudge, and um, sometimes timing is everything, and I remember... Uh, I was with a patient that really we couldn't do anything for her, and uh, she was losing her vision, and um, turned out that her husband was just diagnosed with cancer. <clears throat> he had been doing well, and uh, she's somebody that just takes up so much of my time, so much of my energy. Just It's just draining. It's very draining, and uh, in a busy schedule, 
she has to tell you everything every time from the beginning and the whole story. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's just hard to cut her off. And uh, she's searching. She, she's searching for something. And I'm thinking, like, okay, how can I get out of this room now? <laughs> and then she tells me that her husband was just, and he's there too, uh, just diagnosed with cancer. And so then that's when the nudge started to happen. You know, she's saying, is there anything else you can do for my eyes? And I'm thinking, no. And I've told her no many times. And, and how can I tell her no again? And, um, you know, she said, well, can you do this? And there was that nudge. And I said, no. Well, how about, can you find another doctor for me? And, you know, and it just kept, you know, over a period of a minute or so, it just, that nudge just kept getting stronger and stronger. And I said, okay, <laughs> let, me, let me offer a prayer for them. So <clears throat> I said, you know, um, there's really not much more that I can do for you, but I know somebody who can, and may I offer a prayer for you guys? May I pray for both of you? She kind of looked at me and paused and was confused and said, well, isn't there anybody at the University of Chicago that can help me? <laughs> and it had just went right over her head. And I'm thinking, like, Lord, what do I do with this now, you know? Do I act like it never happened and respond to this? Um, but thank God that her husband heard it, and he was um, in tune with this. And after she kept going on and on again for a while, he said that you know, he would like to pray for us. So um, I offered it again to her, and this time she kind of got it, and she says, okay. So I, I prayed for them, and... Um, there was no like, wow, he prayed for me. Or, there was nothing like that. They just left and um, didn't think much of it and came back the next time. And uh, that was the last time I saw her husband. Her husband had passed away in the next few weeks. And uh, she came into me. And, and the one who had completely missed my comment and had gone way over her head, the first thing she comes to me after she told me that her husband passed away was that that prayer meant so much to us. And she said that, um, her husband talked about that prayer uh, often after they had left before he passed away. And um, I realized at that time that those nudges are for a reason. You know, it's the timing. You know, you may not get another chance. And uh, uh, God is not working on our timetable. He's working on his timetable, and he knows everything else. And so that was another reminder to me not to ignore that nudge. But it's not easy. It really isn't easy. When you're behind, when you have all, all these things, and it's really outside of your comfort zone, um, and to be uh, receptive to that and sensitive to that, it's, it's something that every morning you just have to pray, help me to be sensitive, to feel that nudge, and help me to respond to that nudge. So, you know, that, that resonated with me, the, that nudging too, because we, we have to be sometimes pushed. And, and, and if you're willing, and God's changed your mind a little bit, you will resound, re, be ready to go. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a great God. You are a powerful God, and you know us. And we can trust you that what you say and what you do can lead in our lives that we can do. And we can, we're able to see you working. We thank you for your angels. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Bless us as we continue this meeting. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.